Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. The NBA season is in full swing, and when I can't get enough of the action on the court, I spice things up by betting on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA. Right now, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. I was looking at the lines for making the playoffs today, and you can get the Lakers at plus 115 to make the playoffs, and the Warriors, check this out, at plus 205 to make the playoffs. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. New customers can bet 5 bucks on the NBA and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778 Hope and Y or text Hope and Y to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope all of you guys are having an incredible week. It feels great to be back. We had just unbelievable ski conditions up in Breckenridge this weekend. They got a ton of snow the week before and had all week to kind of pack everything down. I was actually talking with my wife last night. I think Tuesday was my favorite day of skiing that her and I have had together in our entire relationship, which is uh, which has been like almost a decade. So it was just unbelievable trip. That said, it's good to be back. We've missed a couple of significant pieces of news. Doc Rivers 
is now the coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. That's weird, right? And it was weird the way it went down. We're going to talk about that. And then Terry Rozier is headed to, or is with the Miami Heat. I actually watched his first uh, game with the Heat this morning. And so I want to hit those two topics and a couple of others. So what we're going to do today is five big NBA questions. I wrote five questions that will help us hit all of these big storylines around the league. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. It would mean a lot to me if you guys would take a second to scroll down and hit that subscribe button. Don't forget about our podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts, if you prefer that format, wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements or the film threads that I do in the morning. And then keep dropping mailbag questions in the YouTube comments so we can keep hitting them over the course of the next few weeks. And last but not least... Before we get started, if any of you guys ever had a bad experience with a ticket buying service, maybe you go to check out and the price ends up being way more than you were expecting, or you get to the arena and the seat isn't what you were expecting, or maybe just the process is overly convoluted and difficult. Well, this is where I want to talk to you guys about game time. I think they have an incredible ticket buying experience from start to finish. They have all in pricing up front, so you know exactly what you're going to pay right away. They have a great way to preview the seat that you're going to have. So you know exactly what your view is going to be. You know exactly what your money is getting you. And then it's an incredibly easy checkout process. You can buy tickets in seconds with two taps. I highly recommend it to you guys. There's some great games on the horizon too. Like on Saturday, we have the Lakers versus the Warriors. How many more times are we going to get to see LeBron James and Steph Curry in the same arena playing basketball against each other? If you live in the California area, get out and go see that game. take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time download the game time app create an account and use code hoops for $20 off your first purchase terms apply again create an account and redeem code hoops that's h-o-o-p-s for $20 off download game time today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed all right let's talk some basketball so question number one of our five nba questions jason why did the Bucks fire Adrian Griffin and hire Doc Rivers? So, first of all, there's two ways of looking at this. There's like the kind of like retrospective, like let's look back and kind of uh, t- try to see what the ultimate kind of like goal here was. And that gets confusing as you zoom out and you're like, okay, so you fire Mike Budenholzer because you don't think he's good enough with playoff adjustments. So, you hire a rookie head coach. And then when that goes south, You then go hire Doc Rivers, another guy whose kind of reputation is being a guy who struggles with playoff adjustments and famously has blown a lot of series late after taking early series leads. So yeah, as you zoom out, like it doesn't make a ton of sense. There's no doubt. However, if you zoom in just a little bit, like cut the Mike Budenholzer and hiring Adrian Griffin piece out and you just zoom in on this season, it makes sense to me. Do I think it's going to fix all of Milwaukee's problems? No, but it does make sense to me. And I want to kind of break this down so you guys can kind of understand where I'm coming coming from. First of all, Adrian Griffin was not the right coach for this particular team. Forget about the decision to hire him. Just ex- acknowledge the reality that he was the head coach for this season, okay? It's been a pretty consistent thing. One of the things that I do in my job is I constantly am picking the brains of other people around the league. Like I'm a big believer in like, I don't actually, I don't know everything about basketball. I just have my personal perspective and the best way to kind of round out that perspective is to include as many perspectives as possible. And so I talk to a lot of people around the league, people who cover the league nationally, people who cover individual teams, agents, so on and so forth, right? So when I talk to those guys, there have been some consistent things that I've gotten back. 
And one of the big ones is Adrian Griffin is not doing a very good job with the Bucks this year. Obviously, I had my own kind of suspicions there, right? As I'm watching the team, I'm like, hmm, okay, Adrian Griffin, coach for the Raptors. The Raptors under Nick Nurse ran this like super aggressive, like pick and roll blitz and recover scheme. And Adrian Griffin's bringing that to the Bucks. And the Bucks have Brooke Lopez, this like kind of slow-footed big guy who's like really good when he's around the basket, but when he gets out to the perimeter, can I have some issues? Like overall, their team speed isn't great, so they're not great in rotation. Outside of like Giannis, they're pretty unathletic at most positions. So I'm like, this doesn't make a lot of sense, right? And then there were a lot of like clear indicators that the team wasn't playing hard consistently, right? Like 20th in defensive rating, they don't guard. They're dead last in opponent transition frequency. They don't run back. There's bad body language. There's blowout losses. All these like clear indicators that things weren't working, right? And then you got to add the urgency element to it. Dame is older and appears to be on the decline, right? Like, I'm not saying that he is declined, but like, this is the first season where you're starting to see like, oh, like smaller guard, a little bit undersized, shots not falling. The defense is worse than it's ever been. Like, there's some concerns there, right? And then also, if things go south, Giannis requesting a trade is a high likelihood, right? Like, this whole team is old. They don't have a ton to offer Giannis on the basketball side of things other than Dame, and Dame is older. So, like, you can imagine a scenario where, like, Dame has some struggles this year. Things don't go well. Uh, Brooke gets older. Chris Middleton gets older. There's a version of this where Giannis looks around and goes, like, what? Uh, I don't want to be here anymore, right? So there's some urgency there. And then also these young teams are coming. Like you look around the league and it's a lot of these, Like it's like, okay, Orlando looks like they could be really good in the long run. Oklahoma City looks like they could be really good in the long run. The New Orleans Pelicans look like they can be really good in the long run, right? Like Minnesota Timberwolves, there's all these teams out there that look like they're on the rise. And so it kind of feels like this is a very important season for the Milwaukee Bucks, right? And so I don't think interim head coach was an option for them. They knew Adrian Griffin wasn't the right guy. That's a consensus. That's not just me. That's within that locker room. Giannis himself was going up to the press conferences and he was literally saying that he was complaining about the defensive schemes. So obviously there was issues with the general manager, or I should say the front office and the ownership group as it pertains to Adrian Griffin. Obviously the players had some issue with him. Terry Stotts had issues with him. And then around the league, it's a consensus that he was struggling, right? So like, that's the reality. Then you combine that with the urgency and it's, you got to find somebody to get in there who's the best possible option to get in there and just kind of get the most out of this group for, for this season, right? They didn't want to go to an interim head coach. They sense the urgency. They go for Doc Rivers. Now, is Doc Rivers going to help with... The tactical side of things, that's not what he's known for. He's To me, Doc Rivers' best trait that he brings to a basketball team is personality, management, and motivation. Get him into a room with a bunch of guys with egos. He's got a, enough of an aura surrounding him that he commands respect. He's going to be able to get some of that buy-in that they weren't getting. And if he can just clean up things on the margins, that will go a long way towards helping their situation. We're going to talk more about the basketball side of it here in just a second. I'm just focusing on the big picture here, right? So as we zoom out and you go from Budenholzer to Griffin to Doc, you're like, what the hell are they doing, right? But you zoom in and you go, Adrian Griffin's not the right coach. There's real urgency. We need someone to come in on Jan in January to turn this thing around. Doc's available. He'll at least be able to get them to buy in. I get it. I get it. 
That I, I, obviously, he's not the perfect coach in a vacuum for this team. But under the circumstances, I think we can state unequivocally that the Bucks have a better chance to get it done this season with Doc than they do with Adrian Griffin. And therefore, if we zoom in, it was a good move. That, obviously, we zoom out, it's confusing. Zoom in, it's a good move. Question number two. What can Doc help the Bucks with to help them reach their potential? I wrote down a few things for us. Three things in specific. Number one, get defensive buy-in from Dame. He's been the primary culprit in their defensive struggles all season long. He doesn't need to be amazing on that end, but he needs to do his job. And right now, he's not even doing his job. To put it simply, they can't win the title this year unless they get like a Steph Curry-esque just commitment to doing the job from Damian Lillard. And that's something I think Dame, uh, Doc can help with from the standpoint of being a big enough personality to look Dame in the face and be like, this is non-negotiable. This is what we need from you. And when I say Steph, what I mean, Steph was never a deeply impactful athlete. He's not a guy that like is going to go toe-to-toe with the best perimeter initiators in the league and hold his own. As, as a matter of fact, Dame is actually a little bit quicker, right? Dame is actually, even though he's undersized, is a little bit better athlete. But Steph does his job. He understands his role in the defensive scheme. You can see him working his butt off. You can see him chasing over the top. You can see him putting himself in help and recover situations. You can see him uh, uh, at least trying to keep the person in front and force him to take a tough jump shot. You can see Steph trying, right? And that's gone from making him to what early in his career was a bad defensive player to being an average defensive player. And if you have an average defensive player in an excellent defensive scheme, you can get stops. That's step one. you got to get defensive buy-in from day. Step two. Help Dame and Giannis maximize their success in pick and roll. The Bucs are just ninth in offense in January. They've been a really good offense most of the season, but I still think they have some significant room for improvement. By the way, this has been something I've said all season. What have I said consistently about the Bucs? They can be so much better than they have been, right? Specifically, I think if we can acknowledge the reality that they're not going to be an elite defense, right? They're not going to be elite. They can get to okay, but they're not going to be elite. And so if you're not going to be in a lead off a defense, you've got to be like Denver on offense, meaning in a half-court slowdown environment, you have to consistently get absolutely great shots every single time, which this group is capable of doing. In the Dame pick and roll stuff with Giannis, I think there's a lot of meat on the bone there still. Giannis is missing reads on the roll, which we'll talk about in a minute. They're getting in each other's way a lot of the time. Obviously, this is this is normal. This is to be expected. Two stars kind of learning how to play together. And then Dame in general is struggling to find his offensive rhythm. They can run more pick and roll. These are some fixes. Dame's pick and roll frequency is down this year from last year. I think that's having an effect on his rhythm. You need all the reps you can get, not just for Dame's rhythm, but for the continuity and chemistry between those two. And then obviously, I would, I've been talking about this all year, I think they need to simplify the reads. You know, a lot of like the high pick and roll in the middle of the floor stuff leads to Giannis catching on short rolls around the foul line. When he catches short rolls around the foul line, he has to see a ton of the floor on both sides of him. And that can get a little tricky for Giannis sometimes. I love middle of the floor operation for top tier passers. Because it is actually the hardest spot on the floor for the defense to guard. Because there's a lot more openings, right? Whereas with the cleared side, you can do more loading up, and then the rotations are a little bit less spread out on the weak side, right? But the problem is, if you don't have a guy that can actually see all of those reads and quickly digest them, 
rolling into the middle of the floor, it can be a little bit of an issue. So I like clearing the side because you keep the entire floor in front of Giannis, which makes his reads easier. I've, count, uh, I've called out several examples in my Twitter threads as I've done film sessions this year where Giannis catches in the middle of the floor and he doesn't see what's happening behind him and he misses an open shooter or like drives into traffic and struggles to make those decisions. It's, it's just easier for Giannis when the side is clear. So from there, I would just run more action where it's like Dame Giannis pick and roll, right side of the floor, left side of the floor, everyone else is on the opposite side of the floor, have Dame working towards the middle with Giannis catching his rolls on the short corner on that cleared side where he's barreling down to the rim. If they zone up on that side, he has easy reads to skip because they're right in front of him. If they don't zone up, he's going ahead of steam towards the rim. So run it more, run it with a more deliberate schematic approach to kind of create easy reads for Giannis. That's where I think things can kind of open up for them on the offensive end of the floor. You've got to find a way to get to where that action is as reliable as a Jokic-Murray pick and roll. That's got to be the goal. And then lastly, the biggest thing I think that Doc can help with is just cleaning up the details. They have to fix their transition defense. They are literally the worst in the league. They allow teams to get out in transition on more than 17% of their possessions. Dead last in the NBA. Two, they need better contests in pick and roll. The Bucs allow opponents to shoot 46% in the mid-range. That's the second worst mark in the league to the Detroit Pistons. They are the fourth worst team in the league guarding opposing pick-and-roll ball handlers based on points per possession. Why? Absolutely no back pressure. They have Brooke running this drop coverage. He's sitting back towards the rim. He's offering late contests. That means that middle of the floor is where things are open, and specifically Damon Malik Beasley Malik's trying, but he just has some limitations and he loses focus. Dame's not even trying at all whatsoever, but they're not getting any of that back pressure, that chasing from behind to funnel into Brook, the late contests on floaters and pull-up jump shots, the back, the, the rear view contests to try to get misses there. These are details, by the way, these are details that Doc can help with. Doc can help get them to buy into sprinting back in transition defense and communicating. Doc can help by getting their guards to be more willing to commit to the work at the point of attack. Better closeouts. Teams score 1.08 points per spot at possession against the Bucs. That's bottom 10 in the league. That's an effort thing. Closing out, containing, funneling in the right direction. Every team has a help scheme set up. You're expected to give up closeout opportunities. That's how it works. You run a ball screen, you're coming over to tag the roller, there's a skip pass to the left corner. You have a job. The majority of those teams, they want you to close out high side and funnel towards the baseline because that's where if you can push them behind the backboard, it's an easier secondary rotation. Every team, depending on the spot on the floor, depending on the scouting report, there's a lot of guys too where it's like, oh, this guy's a lefty, always drives left. You want to close out to the left side of him regardless of which side of the floor he's on. There's a defensive game plan when it comes to closing out to shooters on the weak side. The Bucs are bad at it. That's something that Doc can help clean up. And then lastly, paint rotations. The Bucs allow 52 points per paint points per game in the paint, which is bottom 10 in the league, which, with a Giannis and Brooke Lopez team is just just bad, right? So these are all, like, again, at the end of the day, this is on the players. But notice I'm not talking about any sort of gigantic schematic change. I don't think Doc's going to come in and flip their whole system over. But if he can just get them to buy in, which means, again, it's on the players – if they all do their jobs better, this team builds themselves more margin for error. 
Because Dame and Giannis are awesome. And they're going to be a devastating playoff duo. But in order to beat the best teams in the league, they can't afford to hemorrhage points in transition defense, hemorrhage points in pick and roll, hemorrhage points with bad closeouts, and hemorrhage points not making extra rotations into the paint when guys are driving. That's the thing. Are you good enough to beat Boston? Yes. Are you good enough to beat Boston when you're hemorrhaging points elsewhere? No. That's where Doc can come in and kind of clean things up. So again, in summation... Obviously, in a vacuum, as you kind of zoom out and you look at everything, you're like, oh, this doesn't really make a lot of sense. But Doc's a better coach for this group than Adrian Griffin. And if he can just get everybody to do their jobs, the Bucs will be better. And they will get more out of this season than they would have otherwise. That's why I look at it as a good move, even if it's not the perfect move and even if it doesn't make sense in the grand scheme of things. Question number three. Jason, is Terry Rozier enough to put the Miami Heat onto the same tier with Boston and Milwaukee? No, of course not. But it does make them better. And most importantly, it maintains their flexibility moving forward. Miami is telling you they don't think DeJounte Murray is worth whatever the cost to pay is. They don't think DeMar DeRozan or Zach Levine are going to be transformative players for the Miami offense. Now, you can argue whether or not they let Dame slip. That's a whole other discussion. And again, similar to the conversation around Adrian Griffin, like, yeah, as we zoom out, some of this doesn't make sense. But as we zoom in to right now, look who's available. Terry Rozier, you're going to get a good chunk of what a DeJounte Murray brings to the table and for less on a shorter term deal. So, so I understood that, right? Now, specifically on a basketball front, how does Terry Rozier make the heat better? First and foremost, he fundamentally changes the physical profile of the team. I've talked a lot about this with the Lakers specifically as it pertains to Bruce Brown. Like, when you have, like, a really good athletic front court, like a Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler, or a LeBron James and Anthony Davis, or a Giannis Antetokounmpo and Brooke Lopez, but you have lesser athletic players on the perimeter, you can still run into issues because it's just really hard for those guys to cover all the gaps. We've seen that in a resounding way with the Bucks and the Lakers this year, right? So, specifically, what I like is you're giving yourself a really, really good athlete at the guard position who also can play both sides of the floor alongside Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. You're changing the athletic profile of the team. You're making it so that you are incredibly athletic in all three position groups, at least within your core lineups. I really, really like that piece. And like again, at the guard position, it's different. We talk about at the forward position and center position, it's like matchup attacking in the post. It's like rim protection. It's like the ability to switch onto smaller guards and hold your own. It's like help defense, low man possessions, tagging rollers, blocking shots, cleaning up the defensive glass, weak side rotations. At the guard position, it's like a lot of just point of attack stuff. It's like generating dribble penetration while containing dribble penetration on the other end. That's like the fundamental athletic imposition of a really good athletic guard, right? And Terry Rozier is just an excellent athlete at his position, right? The, the Memphis game last night, obviously the Heat lost, bad loss. That, that, that to me is just regular season basketball, right? And Memphis is one of those, what do I keep telling you guys about young athletic teams in January that don't really have anything to lose? Right, we've seen this with the Jazz. We're seeing it with Memphis now. Like, like even Portland has had their moments. Like, these young athletic teams are going to have a lot of success in the NBA regular season, especially around this time of year when teams aren't playing hard consistently. Right, but in that game, Terry Rozier was beating people off the dribble. 
doing it in pick and roll. We talked about how important it is in pick and roll to engage the screen defender to open up other pieces, right? That's what allows Bam Adebayo to get behind the pick and roll defender. The only way to prevent a a, a screen defender from keeping the roller and the ball handler in front is to engage him fully. Terry can do that by getting real downhill rim pressure and ball screens. And then on switches, there's there was a play in the second half. Terry Rozier gets Xavier Tillman on a switch. Just a nasty dribble move. Gets right by Xavier Tillman all the way to the basket. That's an important part of beating pick and roll coverages that end in switches. So like that's the offensive side of things. And then on the defensive end of the floor, it's just a better athlete at the guard position that can contend with the other great athletes around the league. The sec- and like again, look at it just spe- specifically with the playoff context. It just adds another two-way athlete to your position group where you did not have a two-way athlete. Now you have Bam as kind of like that defensive fulcrum, offensive fulcrum. Then you have Jimmy as like that versatile forward. Then you have Terry Rozier as your two-way athlete guard. Which, again, as I've said, one of the most important archetypes in the league. You can kind of start to see the the the, the team starting to take shape with like a skill guard like, like Tyler Harrow and then an athlete guard like Terry Rozier, right? My versatile defensive coverage uh, guru and bam at a bio that can switch and drop and high drop and blitz and do all these things. And, and then I've got Jimmy and, and like think about what Jaime Hawkeyes Jr. can do is more of like a matchup attacking forward and Jimmy can guard on the perimeter. It's like you'd start to see things just start to make sense from the athletic profile of the team, right? Secondly, secondary shot creation. He's a slightly above average pick and roll shot creator in Charlotte, but we have to remember it's Charlotte, right? He 485 points on 494 pick and rolls, just under a point per possession, 55, uh, 55th percentile. But most of that was related to his passing and who he was passing the ball to. Terry shot 50% when he shot in pick and roll. 58% in effective field goal percentage when we waited for threes. That's 1.11 points per pick and roll where he shoots. That's in the 93rd percentile. He also gets 1.3 points per his own shot attempt out of ISO. So, like, he can score the basketball. And again, even when it comes to the stuff with Charlotte and the rest of the roster, even despite that, he had a 3-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio. 6.6 assists per game, 2.2 turnovers per game. So, totally solid secondary shot creator. Gives you an additional offensive weapon on a team that was a bottom 10 offense before the trade. He scored 23 points per game in Charlotte. So here's the thing. In summary, do I think it's do I think he uh, puts Miami on the same tier with Boston or Milwaukee? No, but that guy wasn't really available except for Dame this last summer, right? So you made a a smaller move that maintained some of your future flexibility, made you better in the short run. But yeah, I mean you're going to be outgunned again when you get into some of these late playoff rounds. I do think that it closes the gap somewhat. And does give Miami more of a puncher's chance, but yeah, like obviously we're, we we'd be lying to ourselves if we think if we think Terry Rozier is the difference between that Boston Celtics team and this Miami Heat team or that Milwaukee Bucks team in this Miami Heat team. But I do like the deal. I like I like the deal because it makes the Heat more interesting. It makes them better, and it maintains their ability to make a move in the future. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories 
from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Question number four. Jason, the 76ers have won six games in a row, have the fifth best record in the league, and Joel Embiid is having one of the best seasons in NBA history. Why don't you take Philly more seriously as a championship contender? Okay, first of all, I want to be clear. I think Boston and Denver are the two best teams in the league. I think both of them have good chances to win the title. After that, from three, Milwaukee, all the way to Golden State or whatever, at the, as the 11th or 12th, whatever you want to call in that list, they all have a very small chance of winning the title, in my opinion. Like, what have you seen from Milwaukee that makes you think they can beat Boston this year? Really? In the big picture, right? Like, there's a clear gap there. So even though it's three Milwaukee and two Boston, that doesn't mean they're right next to each other in terms of their capability of winning a championship. Boston is significantly more well-equipped in a lot of the phases of the game to win the title. We are now splitting hairs between smaller chances. From there, it's about sorting through regular season noise, right? This is just something that I've talked to you guys about on this show. If there is, If you want to have a show where people are way more invested in regular season results. Those shows are out there. That's just not the way that I kind of see the NBA championship landscape. For starters, this Philly regular season has some major caveats. Philly's opponents have won just 47.8% of their games. They've played the second easiest schedule in the NBA so far this season. That plays a big role in their record. As a matter of fact, just nine of Philly's 29 wins this year have been against teams that are over 500. The Los Angeles Lakers have won 11 such games. So like there hasn't exactly been this overwhelming evidence in this Philly regular season that they are a dominant team. They're a really good team that has played a really weak schedule. And so they look like one of those unbelievable regular season dominant teams, right? Secondly, Joel Embiid, as the best player on a playoff team, has been super underwhelming to this point in his career. That's not a hot take. Yes, there have been injuries. Yes, shots haven't fallen. But the reality is his playoff impact has gone down a level in his career compared to the regular season. Regardless of circumstance, that's what's happened. Time and time again. That's reality. 
right? Three, Tyrese Maxey is your best perimeter player. And he's a very good young guard. Player I'm super excited about in the long run. But last year, in a secondary role, off of James Harden, his true shooting percentage plummeted by 6% compared to the regular season. Why? Because the playoffs are more physical. They're more, it's more difficult to knock down those long-distance jump shots. The, the, the two-way imposition and the physicality wears you down and makes offense harder. This is, a, this is not a Tyrese Maxey thing. This is a consistent thing we see. So you combine that with his youth, right? Like Again, he struggled transitioning from the regular season to the postseason last year as a second option on the perimeter. Now he's the number one option. Now he's getting the other team's best perimeter defender in every single lineup. So, it's just a little bit more of a long shot. These kinds of things take growing pains. Look at the guys he'll be competing against to get out of the Eastern Conference. He'll be going against Damian Lillard. He'll be going against Drew Holiday and Derek White. Even Terry Rozier has played in a Game 7 of an Eastern Conference Finals against LeBron James. Even he has been in wars that are different than the wars that Tyrese Maxey has faced. So, like... There is no singular thing I can point to with Philly anywhere on that roster where I go, oh, I've seen that work in the playoffs before. There's hypotheticals. Like the one point of optimism for Philly is like maybe Embiid just figures it out and kills everybody, right? And I, But for the record, I actually do think that will eventually happen. I believe Joel Embiid is going to break through in the postseason eventually. But in this singular season, I think there are better bets. When I look at Denver, I can literally look at like, oh, I know Jokic and Murray is impossible to guard. Like even Bam and Jimmy couldn't do it. Okay. They have a five-man group that makes perfect sense that they're going to start and close the most, uh, majority of games with. Okay. That makes sense. I know their late game ex- execution works in the postseason. Okay. I know Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Aaron Gordon can guard the opposing best players and do a really good job. That's just a a way, way safer bet than those question marks I talked about with Philly. Boston, they have the most talented roster in the league, and even with Tatum's limitations, he's clearly been a better playoff player than Joel Embiid to this point. So I have a more talented team and a guy in Jason Tatum who's been a better playoff player than Joel Embiid. That's pretty significant when I'm weighing title chances between Boston and Philly. Milwaukee, Giannis is a much better playoff player than Joel Embiid, and I trust Dame more as a playoff initiator than I trust Tyrese Maxey. That's pretty clear cut, guys. Number four, the Clippers. They have their question marks, but I know Kawhi works in the playoffs, and this is the best talented roster that I've seen around Kawhi in a playoff run. That, to me, is a safer bet. The Los Angeles Lakers. Anthony Davis has proven himself to be a better playoff player than Joel Embiid. That's just a fact. And I know LeBron James is going to find a way to be impactful on that stage if he's healthy. Specifically, I've seen LeBron James and Anthony Davis win a lot of playoff series, make two conference finals, and hoist the Larry O'Brien trophy. I know that works. Even after that is where you start to see why I have Philly above. It's like, okay, Minnesota, you're betting on a 22-year-old in Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns to out-execute experienced superstars in a slow-down playoff game uh, series. Yeah, that, that to me is a big question mark. The Thunder, they're young and small. That's like a death sentence in the NBA postseason. The Heat, 
No matter how good Jimmy and Bam are, they always end up outgunned from a talent perspective when they get to the later rounds. The Honestly, the one team that I have to kind of reevaluate as it pertains to Philly is Phoenix. Phoenix is on my radar as a team that we need to kind of reevaluate. They are, they've played 14 straight games with Bradley Beal in the lineup, and they're 11-3 and in that group of games. So, like, and we know Kevin Durant and Devin Booker can score in the postseason. So, Phoenix, I need to reevaluate. We're going to do a deep dive on them soon and probably move them significantly higher up on the list. <clears throat> but even with them, it's like they're small. And they're just a worse version of the Clippers and Celtics. So it just feels like an incredible long shot that they would suddenly just rise above the pile and end up hoisting the trophy at the end of the day. But again, like the way I do things on this show is I'm looking for playoff, like specific trends that I know work in the playoffs. Why do you think I haven't written off the Warriors? I'm like, oh, Steph works in the playoffs. Make a couple, uh, make a couple of roster tweaks. Uh, Draymond gets back in the lineup and fixes the defense. You know, so uh, uh, maybe they get rid of some of the uh, younger players that are kind of disrupting chemistry. Maybe things turn around, and it's like I know Steph works in the playoffs. I know it does. It worked in it worked last year as they beat the Kings and and it took a super like a, a struggling Warriors team to a sixth game against the Lakers. It worked when they hoisted the trophy in 2022. It it worked the last time everyone was healthy in 2019, right? So like I. I'm always going to look for those trends that I know work in the postseason. When I look at Philly, I see a team with a great record that only has nine wins against teams that are above 500 with a with their best player being a historical playoff underachiever and a very young guard who is their primary playoff initiator. That's a lot of question marks. And there is no singular thing you can point to where you're like, that I know works. And so... They're a long shot. But again, before Philly fans get upset, everybody's a long shot, in my opinion, outside of the top two teams. I think we're getting a Denver-Boston finals. That's what I think we're getting. But all of these other teams have a long shot. You can see. It's like, oh, Milwaukee. What if Dame and Giannis just become completely unguardable and they defend well enough? What if LeBron James and Anthony Davis are healthy, they're re-engaged, they do exactly what they did last year and just bully their way to the conference finals and maybe somehow they upset Denver, right? Like the Clippers, it's like everyone stays healthy. James Harden has his best playoff run as, as he's getting the third best perimeter defender in every group and Kawhi Leonard just cyborgs his way to the NBA finals and somehow they beat Boston. Like you can draw a line for these teams, but they're all long shots. And I'm just saying some of these long shots are better long shots than Philly for the reasons that I uh, laid out for you guys. All right, fourth question. Jason, D'Angelo Russell is averaging 27 points and 7 assists on 54% from the field, 51% from three, 94% from the line over his last six games since rejoining the starting lineup. What does this mean for the Lakers in the approaching trade deadline? Now, first of all, I've been saying for a while, that D'Angelo Russell is a very good basketball player who's just a poor use of resources for the Lakers. Here's why. For a six-game stretch in January, when you get to play three teams that are below 500, he's an awesome innings eater. I said this before the season. One of the reasons why I actually thought the Lakers would be a better regular season team than they were is I'm like, oh, D'Angelo Russell, forget about the playoff stuff. The dude's great for regular season basketball. You can have him until February, help them win a lot of games. So, like, I already knew that D'Lo could do this, right? But two things are true. 
one, you're not running your offense through D'Lo in the playoffs. We just know that when he runs into like really athletic and physical teams, his ability to make shots in a drive advantage situations goes down a big level, right? And then two, LeBron and AD are just going to take more control in those situations. So all of a sudden, that specific thing that D'Lo's great at becomes significantly less valuable when we get into April and May. And then two, his athleticism, or lack thereof, and his lack of focus on defense causes his impact in the other areas of the game to go down, especially when he's not scoring 27 points, right? So what is his value then? What is D- With D'Lo and what he brings to the table, what is his value? Ideally, for a championship-level team, you'd want him to be your sixth man, the guy who'd come in and run the offense for your bench groups. But then the question becomes, do you want to use a $17 million salary slot on a sixth man while you're also not nearly good enough at the two and the three to compete with the best teams in the league? Because that's the thing. Before you go, oh, Jason is a starter, we've talked about this. Austin Delo-Torian, fine for the regular season. You're not beating the best teams in the league in a seven-game series if that's your one, two, three. We, so to me, in a championship team, Delo is a sixth man. But you're using $17 million in salary on a sixth man when you've got a guy making the biannual exception in Torian Prince playing the three, and you've spent most of the season with a two-guard named Cam Reddish, who's a veteran minimum guy playing right? You need upgrades there. So it doesn't make sense to have that $17 million sixth man unless you already have your core five down, which the Lakers do not. That becomes a misallocation of resources, right? Then you start to ask yourself, would I be better off if I had Gabe Vincent just kind of, when he gets back from his injury, take over as like that bench guard who kind of leads that point of the offense and use D'Angelo Russell as a vehicle to upgrade the two and the three. So, let's look at the second half of this. But Jason, D'Lo is better than Austin Reeves. Why not trade Austin? Because that's the thing. If, we, if we're talk, talking about it as Austin D'Lo-Torian is not good enough, and we need to upgrade some, something in there, and I've got these two skill guards, okay, what if I trade D- Austin and I have D'Lo as my one, and then I upgrade the two and the three somehow? Well, there's several reasons why that's not the right approach. One, Austin has clearly demonstrated himself to be a better playoff player with more matchup resiliency. He's just better at doing the little things. So when LeBron and AD kind of command the offense, he's a better connective piece. He's a, he's a, a better in, uh, like playing passing lanes. He's better at um, uh, taking charges. He's better at you know attacking closeouts and just kind of being that connective piece on offense, right? Like he just finds a way to be more impactful in a smaller role. Whereas with D'Lo, it's like if you give him the keys to the offense in January, he's obviously better than Austin at that. But once the athleticism goes up and LeBron and AD have to play bully ball more and all these other things change, all of a sudden Austin's impact goes up a level. And I say matchup resiliency because no matter who the Lakers played last year, you never felt like you were bad with Austin on the floor. But with D'Lo, it was like some nights it worked. Some nights it didn't. Some matchups it worked. Some matchups it didn't. So that's reason number one. Secondly, Austin's salary is lower. So it's just harder to use a salary filler. You'd have to include more players. If you want to go get a good player, Austin makes $12 million. What are you going to do for the rest of the salary there? D'Lo makes 17 and change. That's just bigger. It's a bigger number to fill up more of that salary filler gap. And then third, Austin is just more important to the future of the Lakers. 
He's a couple years younger. He just signed a four-year contract extension on an affordable number, whereas D'Lo will become an expiring contract next year. He's just more value. That's why NBA GMs are asking for Austin in these trades. They view him as a more valuable asset, which is why the Lakers would prefer to keep him, right? So it really is this simple. We know Austin D'Lo Torian is too small and unathletic to compete with the best teams in the league. We know an upgrade has to be made somewhere in that group. D'Lo is simply the best vehicle with which to make that happen. Now, maybe the Lakers will change their mind and trade Austin instead because D'Lo is playing really well. I personally think that would be a mistake. But hopefully that kind of breaks it down. Like, I never thought D'Lo wasn't capable of this. I never thought D'Lo wasn't a good player. I just look at him as the obvious vehicle via his salary, via the, the length of his contract, via some of his playoff limitations, and via his redundancy with Austin. I viewed him as the clear opportunity to, to, or the vehicle, I should say, to make an improvement in that starting five. All right, guys, that's all I have for this episode. We're going to be back um, later this afternoon with our breakdown with Jovan Buha and some of the drama surrounding the Lakers around the deadline. And then we'll have some more stuff tomorrow, game breakdowns from tonight's games. As always, I appreciate you guys, and I will see you then. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.